right when we started the show, the last show too, like I was, it got super laggy. Like as soon as we officially started, I was like, oh man, mm, it's gonna be perfect. Long. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be long. Fun. But edit. luckily, it cleared up like right away. Good, good. Which is lucky because I could barely understand, um, you know, your, your initial salvo of what I assume were withering insults, oh. but I couldn't understand. So. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, or just uh, incredible insight, also possible. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I got that. That okay. got throughout the show. You just missed all the shit talk. Yeah, <laughs> which is my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, so uh, just prepare to... Uh, It'll be great. It'll be perfect. Y'all motherfuckers don't watch us play throughout the year, to tell you the truth. I'm gonna be real with you, and I don't care if I get fined. That train is off the track. I feel like you, you can't just like jump through Neptune and be okay. What the show needs is more dogs and bears and chickens and stuff. Yeah, so uh, just prepare to uh, be a watch goodness. Welcome, Pacers fans. You're listening to The Unbeatables, your semi-weekly Pacers podcast, episode 505. Coming to you from Boise, Idaho. I'm your host this week. I'm the enforcer, John Harper. Joining me today is... One of our analysts from Indianapolis, Indiana, our in-house bartender. He's mixing up the drinks and the crappy jingles. It's Jonathan Colson. What is up, Pacer Nation? What is up, Harper? We are a little bit shorthanded, but it's still Thirsty Thursday. Drink up. Next man up, buddy. Next man up. That's right. That's right. This show, we are going to talk about Miles Turner. Because he's hilarious and awesome. And amazing. And amazing. Colson is going to point out five things. Just five little points. <laughs> we are going to talk about um, some new insights into the Mark Jackson saga and why he is still not working, at least according to him. And if we have time, an ungoogleable. And if we don't, we'll make time. <laughs> Where you gotta be? Priorities, man. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So this week, apparently, following the Bulls loss that we talked about on the Monday show, which, granted, we were none of us were super thrilled with, some less well-meaning fan decided to <laughs> try and troll Miles Turner, and I think how this goes is he made a Venmo request for a hundred bucks to Miles Turner. Since he deemed Miles Turner blew the game, and he owed him a hundred bucks for that, I'm not sure that I really follow the logic on that. Sure, I assume that he like bet a hundred bucks, you know, or something, and lost it, and it was like Miles Turner owes me this because because <laughs> he was two of ten and only had like two rebounds or whatever it was, you know, like. I don't quite get the logic, but still. Well, he sent it to him three times, so maybe there wasn't that much logic. He was just really going out of his way to be a jerk. Fair enough. 
the what's funny about this is that you know Miles Turner is used to this stuff, right? Like you, as a professional athlete, as a um, celebrity, you get a lot of this stuff on the internet. And um, after the third request, Miles um, Turner sent him a penny for his thoughts on Venmo. <laughs> sent him one cent uh, with penny for your thoughts. And um, the guy, to his credit, I, I assume it was in good uh, uh, faith, uh, basically tweeted that out. And it caught fire on the Internet, as things do. Um, which is, you know, just like the undegoogleables did, right? You know, it catches fire. And um, suddenly there are people thinking this is hysterical. Um, and they start sending uh, Miles Turner like a penny or uh, two, two cents. Uh, here's my two cents sort of thing or a penny for your thoughts. And that money started adding up really quickly. Yeah, guys were sending thirty-three bucks for his number. Uh, he had uh, said uh, eight hundred one career blocks of that game, so guys were sending him eight hundred one. So good. Yeah, super great. Uh, right? the, uh, there was a guy who had like uh, won a certain amount of money on uh, some wins that he'd bet on uh, Miles Turner's blocks, you know, and had sent sent the winnings Some crazy parlays yeah, on exactly and had gone ahead and yeah. sent the the winnings in you know stuff like that and so uh miles turner was like well hell i went to texas uh texas is bad right now um why don't we turn this into a fundraiser because this is funny and interesting and hysterical in the way that the internet can be and let's do good things with it and so he said that he would match whatever amount of money got sent to him based on this weird interaction with a fan and his funny clap back about, you know, a penny for your thoughts. And now this has turned into, uh, at the time of recording, I've got uh, $12,000. Where are you at? Is that, is that where you're seeing? Sounds about right. Yeah. And so he's going to match that number and uh, send that to people in need in Texas who are very much in need right now. I mean, you know, sending thoughts and prayers to everyone in Texas. This is a terrible time um, to be there. People are without fresh water, um, and so he's going to send uh, money to them, which is which is amazing. Yeah, for sure. Worth noting too. Uh, Miles's family is fine. Um, his family seems to be in good shape. Uh, his family's article- from Houston, correct? Is that right? Uh, I, I think I, I don't know where they're originally from. I think they're living in Colleyville or something now, okay. uh, which is like in between. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. My Texas geography not so great. Everything's bedroom communities of Houston. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, family seems to be doing well. He said that uh, his mom was like. Uh, I don't think he called her a doomsday prepper, but it's like. like adjacent to that apparently she's uh always always prepared so uh, mm. they they did not get caught unawares when this happened and 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 that's really good news so um that makes it a little bit easier to to laugh at this stuff if the situation were a little bit different things would be a lot less funny i'm sure but yeah good on him for 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 trying to turn this into something too especially you know given his history with social right. media right. right uh you know there's a time where he just 
walked away from it altogether because people were being just so openly terrible all the time. So yeah. it's good to see him, you know, able to engage um, in a way that's that's uh, fun and doing a little bit of good. So, yeah, no, it's it really, you know, social media really seemed to uh, affect him earlier uh, period in his career. I think we've talked about it on this show. I mean, he was on a trajectory to be, you know, the next Chris Bosch or the next uh, Kevin Garnett based on his rookie year stuff. Um, and people start expecting things and don't allow you to become the person you're going to be. They start demanding what they expect. And, and I think that that really affected him. And he had to turn off social media for a while. Um, and I'm glad that he's right now in a place where he can re-engage. Um, he's also playing the best basketball of his career right now. Um, he's leading the league in blocks. Um, I think understanding his role on this team, I think he's in the running for defensive player of the year. Um, and so uh, shout out Miles Turner for being the best player you can be and also realizing that uh, the internet is a scary, dangerous, but also fun, hilarious, and helpful place to be. So, Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, he said that he was targeting maybe five to ten families. We'll see how big the pot gets. Um, for sure. But, uh, you know, send Miles Turner some money. Yeah. And he'll, 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 do something, he'll do something useful with it. So thanks, Miles. We appreciate you, buddy. All right, Colson, it is time to bring back a segment we have not come back to in a little while. I'm excited. I need you to tell me about stuff. It's jingle time. Is there a jingle? I don't know if there's a jingle. I don't think we ever Is made there a, not jingle. a jingle. <clears throat> da, 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 da. No, that's Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> no, that's good though. That, that'll be the new jingle. <laughs> uh, so um, we, we did a Undebitacon um, um, in Atlanta, and there's a, a neighborhood called uh, Little Five Points. And while we were there, we came up with a segment called Five Little Points, which we ran for a little while. But then we felt like maybe we should give it to, like, maybe the um, people who podcast the Atlanta Hawks games. You know, we were kind of, like, stealing their thunder. But uh, it's a good... And it's a stealing the thunder's thunder. This could go on for days. <laughs> but I think in honor of episode 505, I want to do... 505 little points. I like it. So, um, usually with five little points, there's a, 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 there's a theme. So my theme this week is rebounding. Did you tell the team? Little point one. The Indiana Pacers are uh, 26th in rebounding at... That's better than I thought. 43 a game. Uh, Utah is number one. At 48 a game. Point little two. Little point two. Point little two. <laughs> little point two. Uh, Karis Levert is going to be our new uh, starting shooting guard when he returns healthy. Um, his career rebounding average is 3.7. Um, he was averaging uh, 4.3 this season before uh, the trade for Oladipo and uh, his subsequent um, surgery. But he will be replacing Victor Oladipo, whose uh, 
average rebounds as a pacer were 5.2. So a team struggling with rebounding, losing a rebound, maybe a rebound and a half there, something to think about as we move forward. Little point three. Rebounding is about scheme for sure, but it's also about effort. So what I'm what I'm doing with little point three is calling on everyone not named <laughs> Sabonis or honestly Malcolm Brogdon to grab one more rebound a game. Okay? I know that seems like a small thing, but if the difference between twenty-sixth in rebounding is five rebounds a game, if I could get every pacer not named Sabonis and and uh, Brogdon to rebound one extra rebound a game, we would be leading the league in rebounds. Uh, that's little point three. Little point four, the box out. It is something I've been watching this team. It's something we don't do. Uh, I think that uh, in the era that we were, we, we've been historically poor at rebounding as a franchise for a few exceptions. Uh, we had the Davis boys back in the day, uh, Jermaine O'Neal and, and um, you know, Al Harrington and um, Artest. We were a pretty good rebounding team that back then. Um, we also were a fairly good rebounding team with uh, Hibbert and uh, West. Uh, we've been really poor since then. Um, I think some of that has to do with boxing out. I watched this team. Um, a lot of guys going for the rebound, but nobody's boxing out. And so I'm looking at you, Demonis Sabonis. You're averaging 12 rebounds a game. Maybe give up one or two of those to box out. You know, Justin Holiday. Maybe box out so uh, Miles Turner can get the rebound. Something like that. I think we need a little bit more boxing out. I think this needs to be a scheme. It needs to be personal sacrifice for your own stat. I think uh, one of the things that we, we've historically talked about, um, Hibbert was not a great rebounder, but you know what he was? He was a great boxer router. He was getting other people rebounds like Lance Stevenson. Um, so we just need to remember that. As a big man, you don't always have to get the board, but you need to box out. So that's point little four. Uh, nobody got Lance Stevenson a rebound. Okay, Only Lance. Lance gets Lance rebounds. Lance Lance gets Lance rebounds. That's true. That's true. Uh, little point five. Jakar Sampson. You ever heard of him? Um, he is. I'm gonna look this up real fast because I looked it up earlier. Um, he is number two in total rebound percentage on the team. Behind Jalen LeCue, um, and I don't really expect Jalen LeCue to come in and fix our rebounding problem. <laughs> I think uh, Chikar Sampson needs to see a few more minutes. Just talking to you, uh, Coach Nate, um, he's only uh, played uh, 78 minutes this season on a team that's desperate for rebounds. He's number two in offensive rebound percentage, number uh, two in defensive rebound percentage, and number two in total rebound percentage. Um, I think maybe he should see some minutes. Uh, to extend this, how about some Goga? Goga is number five on our total rebound percentage, just behind DeMontis Sabonis and right ahead of Miles Turner. Uh, also, fun fact, and I'm going to go ahead and throw this 
uh, we can go ahead and cue um, Joey's stat of the week. Joey's stat of the week! Demonis uh, Sabonis is the leader on our team in PER with 20.7. Well, technically Jalen LeCue, but again, all those numbers don't matter. Come on, we love Jalen LeCue. We want him to play more minutes, but I'm not counting his PER or his total rebound percentage. Demonis Sabonis leading the team with PER at 20.7. Harper, can you guess who's number two for Joey's stat of the week? In total PER? In PER. Uh, behind some bonus, boy, I, you know, I just, I feel like I'd be an idiot not to take Brogdon here, but I suspect because you're asking me, it's not him. <laughs> it's Goga Patadze. Goga. So I'm wondering if maybe he should be seeing a few more minutes on this team, especially on a team that's desperate for rebounds. Um, just to put this out there, uh, the best lineup um, with Goga, uh, uh, the best uh, rebounding lineup that we have, five-man lineup, um, is plus 5.4 in total rebounds. That's the bench. So, as we know, it's Aaron Holiday, TJ McConnell, Justin Holiday, Doug McDermott, and Goga. That's our best rebounding lineup. That lineup is also plus 28 points. I think this lineup should play some more. I think Goga needs to see some more minutes. I think Jakar Sampson needs to see some more minutes. This team is desperate for re- rebounds. We've lost games. We can we can go. <laughs> you, we could easily look back at all the box scores and the games we've lost. It's about rebounding. This is a team that has problems with rebounding. Um, I am concerned that um, you know. Levert is not necessarily going to bring enough rebounding when he comes back to really fix this thing. I think we need to lean on the bench um, to have uh, to kind of fix some of this, and I think that means more Bataze and more Jakar Sampson. That's my five little points and the little five points in five oh five five points. I was I, I think Aaron Holiday blocks out. That's my dude. There you go. Fair enough. Um, also, just and this is this is a side sixth point. Uh, going through the five man rotes for rebounds, I discovered that T.J. McConnell and Doug McDermott are in all of our best lineups. I mean, in in rebounding, in scoring, in stealing, and everything, um, and. The, the only lineup that they're bad in is with Sabonis as the center. But, like, with Goga as the center, um, with with uh, with the starting lineup, so that'd be Brogdon, Sabonis, and Turner with, with McConnell and McDermott, um, with the bench and Turner. Um, basically, McConnell and McDermott, whoever you put around them, is the best lineup that we have. And I think we need to unlock this better. We need to figure out how to make sure they're both always on the floor at the same time. We need to figure out um, how to play them more minutes. Just a little sixth point in my five points. TJ McConnell and Doug McDermott need to be playing more together for the Pacers. It's a hot take that McDermott and McConnell should be starting. I did not see that coming when we started this. Hey, well, you know what? I mean, the thing is, so actually, I, I'm going to take the opposite take. I think they probably should stay on the bench. They they should play. They they can play down the stretch, 
I'm thinking maybe a Justin Holiday and an Aaron Holiday in the starting lineup and not splitting up McConnell and McDermott's minutes, you know, something like that until we get everybody healthy. Um, maybe the holidays start so that McConnell and McDermott can come off the bench together and then can move in with the starters in subbing of the holidays. Like maybe that's more of my call, but I'm telling sure, you sure, McDermott sure. and McConnell need to be together as much as possible. I'm winning you games Bjorkren. I'll uh, I'll take stuff. my I'll take my credit off the air. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, so in fairness, Goga has been you know, was battling injury early in the year, so I, I do hope to see his minutes continue to rise. Um, also, I mean, what once we do get healthy, I mean, certainly there's like no games this season that you look back on or rebound and it wasn't a problem and we lost, right? Like, yeah, just aren't there aren't games that we lost and won the rebounding battle. Yeah. No, it hasn't happened right? this season. It hasn't. I, I, it just, it hasn't. Um, but I think while Karis LeVert doesn't necessarily bring more rebounding than Victor Oladipo at his position, uh, a, I think he probably could if that's specifically what you asked of him and he doesn't have to carry an offense on his shoulders. He can do more things. Fair enough. Um, also, Victor's not playing for us, right? We're, we're pretty small at the moment, right? So yes. there is a world in which we get to trot out a lineup that's, you know, where our smallest dude is like Malcolm Brogdon. At 6'5". <laughs> I mean, our starting lineup could very well be, you know, Brogdon, Lavert, TJ Warren, Turner, and Sabonis. I or mean, we massive. could do that. Yeah, we, and we, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, I was, you know, you know, I think I've been concerned that Miles Turner isn't rebounding enough, but like when I look in the numbers, like his percentage is really good. Like he's averaging seven, which is pretty good for a power forward playing next to a center who's averaging 12. Like when you look at those things, like he's not like underperforming. I want him to get one more game for sure. But like, you know, and I looked at Brogdon, like he's getting uh, five or six rebounds a game for a point guard, that's fine. I don't need him to do more. I'm looking really basically at my my shooting guard and my and my small forward to get one more a game and also my bench all to get one more a game. Um, but again, you put in Bataze or a Jakar Sampson because we're running really small in that second unit. And I think we just need a little bit more uh, we, we need to just rely a little bit more on big man. You know, the, I know the game is moving small, but rebounds still win basketball games. And I think these guys, you know, I think Jakar Sampson is an excellent hustle player. He, he finds himself in the right positions. I think Bataze is, I know he's still raw and he's young, but he's blocking shots. He can hit threes. He's a huge body. I understand you can't probably play him 20 minutes a game because he's still raw, but like, Let's let's get him minutes. Let's get him ready, and I think he's going to do things well for us as far as rebounding goes and blocking out and things like that. So, um, this is my uh, we we've learned that Bjorkren has listened to the show. He's he's making changes based on what we request. Um, this is my request. Shout out, That's thanks, it. Coach. <laughs> nice. Well, like that. These guys will continue to prove over the course of the season. I, you know, the thing about it, too, is this team has struggled some with its defense on a night-in, night-out basis, just being consistent there. Um, 
and you know when you go out and play good defense and you force a miss and then you just you're giving up old boards it's just really demoralizing yeah um, no I, I think this is something that can be really additive for the team too. controlling the defensive glass a little bit better can really make it feel like that defensive effort is paying off I agree with you. I, you know, one of the things that I, I've really seen the effort on the defensive end. You know, I, sometimes we're in not in the right position, but people are still flying at the three-point shooter. You know, they're still they're not just standing around. Um, I've noticed that uh, guys are getting the bucket really easily, but like I, I do feel like these guys work hard on defense. And and what's amazing right now in the NBA is is how good scoring is like I mean the the scoring is up across the league and you'll play fantastic defense um you know I I I think I even made a a point uh about that Chicago game I was was texting the slack like we played perfect defense on Levert down the stretch and he still hit his shots like good offense still beats good defense and that's demoralizing but when somebody misses the shot you have to get that rebound because otherwise it's you just triply you know or doubly or triply defeating because you played to good defense and then you don't get to you know profit from that you know uh, a rebound still ends a defensive possession we've got to do that or you know all that effort all that flying around we're doing on defense and and being in the right position doesn't matter yeah 100 percent but i think these guys will continue to get better i know it's going to be a point of emphasis in the locker room and you know, again, just just being bigger, I think, will help too. But there's always, you know, there's always one more rebound to be had, right? So, gotta gotta continue to focus on finishing possessions. To, uh, you know, in the same way that you gotta focus on the last two minutes of game and winning games, right? That's right. All right. So this week, Brad Botkin published an article on CBS about Mark Jackson's time with the Warriors. Mark Jackson says that the narrative that came out of that divorce is keeping him out of locker rooms to this day. Um, it's an interesting article. What'd you think, Colson? It's an amazing article. It's a great story. We need to link to it. Um, we on this pod have talked quite a bit about giving Mark Jackson a shot. We've actually talked about him being our coach in the past. Um, I think we all love Mark Jackson from his days as uh, a point guard with the Pacers. Um, I think at least I uh, want to give him a lot of credit for the work he did in Golden State, building the the confidence uh, the confidence up of those those young players. Um, you know the Steph Curry's and the Clay Thompson and the Draymond Greens that he had, um, and you know that team made the playoffs every year um under him um they upset somebody and i think uh, you know in a first round you know steve kerr clearly deserves credit for you know creating a dynasty but i think these things don't happen in a vacuum and mark jackson deserves a lot of cre- uh, credit for kind of building that up that's how i feel we have been we have talked in in the past about why he's not been given a chance to coach again since he did all those great things. And this article kind of gets into that. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that we were aware of is he did not seem to have a great relationship with the front office. It's very clear from this reporting that he was just a polarizing figure across the board, right? His, His players seemed to love that he 
you know, gave them room to make mistakes and let them learn from those mistakes, you know, on the court. The flip they, side of that is... They called is, him inspirational. Some did, yep. Yeah. And others uh, found that he was weirdly backhandedly manipulating the locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's just a super weird thing, right? And there's not, like, a ton of specifics on that. Um but well, it's an interesting there point are some when specifics. you feel like your coach is undermining the morale of a locker room. Yeah, like he he he's like basically started taking out assistant coaches. Like like you know, um he couldn't fire them so he'd give them like lesser duties or he'd move their parking he'd spaces. He moved a parking space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just yeah. Petty super stuff. weird petty stuff. That's petty stuff. Yeah. Um and you know seemed to really need to be in control of a lot of stuff. And if people disagreed, he seemed to take them out instead of, um, you know, work with them and create some sort of reconciliation. (laughs) It was like, you're either on the team or you're off, at least from this article, it seems like that. And the people that were off the team seemed like they think he's the worst boss ever. And um, the people that were on the team think he's one of the uh, best people they've ever met. I can see um, how franchises might shy away from that if they're looking for a new coach, right? Like, I mean, this guy did great things in in uh, Golden State. I think that I think again, I think he deserves some credit for it. Um, I don't know if Steph Curry is the player that he is without Mark Jackson. I don't know if Reggie Miller hits all those three pointers without Mark Jackson in his ear. Like, we don't know. Like, this guy is a motivator, but it seems like he's going to create an awful lot of dust up (laughs) on his way to that. Yeah. I mean, the line at which, you know, the the, the line that you can walk as a player and the line that you can walk as a coach in trying to motivate people is a different line. It's a different line, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mark Jackson is a very good basketball mind, right? He's a good basketball coach. He knows he understands the X's and O's. He knows what it takes to win, uh, and he's very good at that. But that's not all a coach is in the 21st century, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys, these guys are you know the faces of billion-dollar operations, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you have to manage not only your guys and your coaching staff, uh, but also you do have to manage your relationship with the front office so that you can be on the same page when it comes time to build players around the you know existing team. Um, you cannot be working across purposes, right? It's right. not going to work. Likewise, not only do you have to, you know, have the respect of your players, but you got to be able to get up in front of a mic, um, you know, and, and be smart about what you say. You have to be a good manager of people. You can't go around firing assistant coaches in front of the entire team. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you can't do this stuff. Like, right. I mean, forget the legal liability of the thing. Like, it's just, it, it, it's not the way that you, you lead an organization. It right? seemed like a ton of power play stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. As a coach, you've got to try to figure out how to navigate stuff because you're not going to win that power play. There's somebody who owns that team. There's a whole staff of people above you, and there's a whole staff of people below you. And you're not going to be able to – I don't care how good you are. You're not going to be able to control all of that. Um, and so you've got to figure out how to navigate it instead. Um, and sure. it sounds like Mark Jackson doesn't know how to do that. 
Um, I mean, certainly at the time he didn't do a good job. I mean, the the other side of that is, you know, leading an organization to maximum, you know, maximize success is all about getting the most out of everybody, right? Right. And it, it, it may be that Mark Jackson is not the best at compromising or right or listening to the but but that means that somebody else on that in that organization was better than him at it. And instead of, you know, bringing that guy in and, you know, improving himself, it seems like maybe he fired him in front of a whole bunch of other people or something, mm-hmm. right? Like um, I, I, I can understand the trepidation of front offices and owners um, to go back to that. I think the article makes a great point that he's been out of the coaching business for a bunch of years, and there's every reason to think that he's learned a lot during that time. For sure. He's still a very smart basketball I mean, this mind. Is his, this is his first head coaching gig, mm-hmm. you know, and they talk about how if you if he basically worked a rookie contract, and if we just fired rookies after their rookie contract without l- allowing them to develop, you know, we wouldn't have some of the players we've had in the, in the NBA. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a nice sort of framework to put it in. Um, you know, people des- are allowed to grow and learn and deserve second chances. But there's also a lot of money involved, you know. Um, you hire somebody for millions of dollars that's in charge of a billion-dollar corporation, you better be pretty sure they're not going to try to burn the thing to the ground. Yeah. And one story that gets quoted in this article is, you know, uh, Steph goes to his church where he's preaching and, you know, long story short is apparently Mark's wife has him up on stage, like dancing on this surgically repaired ankle. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, I mean, yes, there's millions of dollars at stake, but Steph's a $200 million man. I mean, that's yeah. he's the franchise, man. Like, you yeah. got to be smart about that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, there's another quote in there about how, you know, it's one thing to have one or two guys H in a franchise, but you can't have 200. Right. And, you know, you just sometimes you got to get along to get along, man. Right. And, you know, I really I really hope he does get another shot. I'm, I'm not sure that I'm ready for that to be the Pacers right now well no no I mean, you know and and you know we've talked about it in the past we've and you know but whether whether he should be that uh here and and one of the things that I'm hearing out of the players right now is how uh, Nate Bjorkman is uh such an easily accessible coach how he has reached out to everybody the moment he got hired he like had texts out to every player he went out and saw them all work out um, he is um, sort of a modern coach that cares about, makes every player feel like they're cared about. He wants to know what's going on with them, not just in basketball, but in their lives. Um, and he's also convinced the um, ownership that he's a basketball mind. And I think they're, I think he's, they're right. I think he is. Um, I'm not going to argue. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, you know, that's the standard, right? You've got to, you can't just go in and just be like, it's either my way or the highway. You've got to sort of bring everybody along and mm-hmm. say, hey, look, I'm this, I can do this, but everybody's got to be along with me. And right now, um, Nate Bjorkman has the, the ear of this team. Um, I'm, I'm glad he's our coach. Um, I, I still hope Mark Jackson gets another shot, but I also hope he learns the lesson of, 
you know, um, trying to bring everybody in in the process. Because I do yeah. think he's a brilliant basketball mind. He is. He is. And he'll do much better a second time around if somebody somebody finally gives him a shot. Um, you know, it's probably not going to be in a huge market at this point. But, right. uh, you know, I, I, I'm excited to see what he can do for another team. Because what he did in Golden State, it, I mean, it was amazing. It was yeah. amazing. He laid the groundwork for a dynasty. Yep. And potentially created an MVP. You know? I, I, I give Steph lots of credit. I do too. I, I saw mean, him I saw him the other day. He hit five shots in a row from the logo in warm-ups. From the logo. Mark Jackson's good, but he didn't teach Steph. That. No, I know. I know. <laughs> you you remember you remember that night, right? You we we were for, there were a couple years in a row where we watched the um, draft on uh, on the phone together, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I was I was living in North Carolina at the time, and I had watched Steph Curry and, and Davidson. You know, it was a small school, and I was like, "We got to get this kid. We got to get this kid. He's going to fall to us." We had like the twelfth pick or something, and he went at seven. But I was I was convinced he was the next Reggie Miller. I didn't realize he was going to be something else. Not yeah. Reggie Miller, but like beyond the greatest shooter of all time. Yeah, the greatest shooter of all time. I just thought he was. I had he had the clutch gene, he had the shooting gene, and I was like, we need this guy. He's going to be the next generation for us. I didn't realize he was going to be the next generation for the NBA. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nor I. Clearly, I you know, it's well established. I don't follow college sports very closely. But. Well, I I didn't really either, but I just happened to be living there at the time, and uh, you mean, know, he was such a. Uh, there's such a buzz around him and watching those games yeah. is so fun. I, 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 you know, in retrospect, we probably, sh- we probably should have traded up, you know, potentially. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. Hindsight. Hindsight. You know? <laughs> well, Mr. Colson, are you ready to do an undegoogleable? Sure. Oh, are we doing un- undegoogleables? That was the plan. Super excited. Um, you told us we had to, sir. You said we signed up for it. In the end, it's going to be better and more true than Google can give you. I got ungoogles for days. Uh, what do you What do you want to know about? What do you What What do you think? Uh, what do you think people want to know about? Something that starts with a Q. <laughs> Don't have that. <laughs> Something that starts with an L. Uh, okay. Let's just, uh... I'm just gonna... How about an animal thing? Animal thing. Hmm. Okay, I'm striking out. That's three. I'm out. That's a strikeout. <laughs> no way. Um, okay. Apple of my eye. Apple of my eye. Okay, so, so this is a phrase that is always bothered me right because it doesn't really make sense so you're the apple of my eye so there's there's not an apple in my eye um why are you as my child because that's the phrase right you're like you're the you're the thing that i care about most right you're the apple of my and and it's usually lineage right it's it's a the child is the apple of my eye right Pride and progeny, maybe. Yeah. So, so why is it an apple of my eye? There's no apples in my eye. Um, and I mean, why is apples create connected to 
progeny and all this stuff. I'm, I'm confused by this phrase. It's bothered me for a long time. Um, I was going to, um, I've, I've, I've sat on this for a long time and I was going to put it out to the whole group, but you know what, on some level, I think it's, it's appropriate that you and I just figure this one out together. <laughs> I feel like we'll do uh, we'll do it justice. Okay. Okay. So from a purely visual perspective, you could say that the pupil is sort of apple shaped or an apple is pupil shaped. Mm, deep. <laughs> <laughs> no okay all right all right so so on some level how how far like is this a recent phrase like how far are we going back um before like are we talking about an apple as as a pupil sure okay yeah i'm with you i mean i don't know it's definitely to a time when people are hungry because it shouldn't have anything to do with food but they made it about food okay all right all right. I go like so, Old West. I think it's older than Old West. No, I think this is biblical. I think it's. I think it's. Oh, I think really? it's. Yeah, or or like Greek. I think it's Greek. Maybe when when are apples around? Where are apples around? Well, okay. So this is, I actually do know. This is a fun fact that I know. Um, that um, the Garden of Eden. It it actually probably wasn't an apple. You know, we talk about. Um, right. Um, because there weren't apples in that era, no. in that area. So that's all like a retro that we've created an apple in the garden of Eden. So it was more likely a, a date or something like that. Um, I, sure. I mean, I don't know, like if we're, if we're talking about like, you know, if you want to talk about Yahweh's epic, like we're not, we're not there yet. Right. Like, like there's no apples there. Where are apples? Are apples in, uh, Italy or are there apples in, I, see, I, that, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Like, I mean, maybe Greece had them, but I don't know that to be true for sure. When I think of Greece, I think of like olives and figs and stuff. Right. Sure. Maybe Italy. Yeah, where, where where's the beginning of apples? So this is this know. is a because I don't think it's New World. I think we've had apples for longer than that. I mean, clearly because you don't have the Bible's done way before the New World. So yeah. you're you're up somewhere, not the desert. That's for sure. Okay, so we're thinking that the the apples aren't in um, the Middle East. We're thinking they're more yeah. in Europe. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Newton, he had the apple fall on his head. <laughs> okay. When, when's Newton? Uh, Ugh. 1500. Yeah. Okay. Sure. No, he's later than that. 1650 maybe. Okay. Um, I feel like, uh, I read, um, Da Vinci code. I feel like Newton was in that. <laughs> 1642 to six, 1726. Okay. So, no, I I do feel like I'm gonna go I'm gonna go biblical, but again, the actual story in the Yahwist epic wouldn't involve an apple, so it would be the the rewriting of it, which would have been probably a thousand years later. I just think you're presuming a lot about where Eden was. 
<laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, it was the Fertile Crescent, my friend, and we all know that. Mm-hmm. Was it, though? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's a special magic place, dude. Sure, okay. So the special magic place just had apples already? Yeah. <laughs> and dinosaurs and Adam and Eve. That's true. They did have all those things. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> apples and dinosaurs. Uh, but no, okay. I, 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 I don't know. Could this be a... Like, I don't know. Anything to do with the eyes, you're thinking, like, some sort of reference to, like, window on my soul or something. Right. No, like, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's uh, thin. But but I'm not sure that it's actually describing the physical eye, right? I mean... Well, no, but if you are the apple of my eye, you are, like, the best version of me, right? As a child or a progeny. Don't you think? Isn't that what that means? Okay. I could buy that. It certainly can mean that. I don't know if it has to mean that. Okay. So Apple would be positive, would be a positive thing. But yeah. again, I'm with you I mean, that Apples it's, are pretty good. They are good. Uh, uh, a green delicious. Little, little uh, Fuji. A Fuji apple? Mm, yeah. Well, no, okay, I like that it's a pupil, though. That it, it, it doesn't have anything to do with apples at all. It's just basically the pupil. So, so if that's the case... Then we're talking about an artist. We're talking about a, an author. We're talking about someone who's creating, trying to create a mental picture for you. So, so Shakespeare? Shakespeare then? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely Shakespeare. I think yeah, it's earlier, no, I though. Could see. Well, is, is, could, be, could Chaucer have gone with apple of your eye? I mean, it, like I said, it could be at any time when people were hungry. <laughs> so, yes, it could have been Chaucer for sure. Um, but why is it connected to the positivity of your project? So you are the apple of my. So okay, the the idea. You're right. You you sort of mentioned this, but like you can. The window into the soul. Like I can en- envision. Uh, the through the through through my pupil, I'm envisioning the future, right? Um, again, that doesn't help me with time. <laughs> apples are delicious. Apples are delicious, and they probably used to be like an expensive delicacy. Oh, for sure they too, were. For right? sure. So, so um, we're gonna go with uh, apples are delicious. They were apples expensive, are delicious. Uh, and that it's that it's definitely not um, Garden of Eden because all of that's uh, retroed. We'll take Chaucer to Shakespeare. I feel like that's such a through let's line go, that like that yeah, should just be go. a category for us now. Yeah, you so like thirteen hundred. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Let's go thirteen hundred. All right. Let's see what we got here. This phrase originally had anatomical reference and was used to denote the central aperture of the eye. There you go. We killed that. The exp- the expression first appeared in Old English in 885 A.D., so that's like pre-Chaucer. <laughs> that is definitely pre-Chaucer. That's deep. And in a work attributed to King Alfred, the Great of Wessex, your favorite king, I'm, I know, <laughs> titled Gregory's Pastoral Care. It was later used by Shakespeare in 1600 in his play A Midsummer Night's Dream and also appeared in English translations of the Bible 
1611. However, the phrase is more commonly used after it appeared in Sir Walter Scott's novel Old Mortality in 1816. That's according to the idiom. So uh, Wikipedia says uh, the apple usage comes from English idiom, not uh, Hebrew. Um, the original Hebrew for this idiom um, refers to the pupil. Uh, it means dark part of the eye and not apple. Um, meaning it means it's I, I'm not going to try to pronounce the Hebrew here, but it means dark or obscure. Oh, which which translates literally to little man of the eye. Which would. <laughs> w- yeah, which would make very easy um, connection to, to to how we think of it now. Right. You are the little man of my eye. <laughs> That's Wikipedia, though, and and also, of course, we love Wikipedia. It's it's the knowledge of the people. So, in terms of definition, it doesn't necessarily have to be progeny. Just someone most cherished is above all others. So the way that it was actually used in the 1816 Old Mortality novel was Poor Richard was to me as an eldest son, the apple of my eye. As an eldest son. Okay. So she actually liked him more than her own kids. So right. that's exactly. always good to know. Exactly. <laughs> that's what you always want to hear your mom say to some dude. It's very common in the Bible and is connected to this translation, the English, the English translation of essentially what means dark part or potentially little man of the eye. Uh, all, all of these from the uh, King James translation of the Old Testament. So, it's, you know, it's where it becomes a common phrase, but you're saying 800. Eight, yeah, which, 800. Which would be, I found reference to this, yeah, this work attributed to King Alfred the Great of Wessex. I've seen that. Which is way earlier than uh, the King James version of the Bible, which was what? I'm, I don't have that in front of me, but what, 1600? 1611, I think. Okay, yeah. So, Definitely in the parlance, so they could find this thing and and translate it that way. That would make sense. Yeah, I mean, it clearly... Which would also change the meaning of the term itself. Or the translation. Well, so, when when you're reading something in Hebrew, and, you know... And you're saying, well, this is similar to this thing. And you take a phrase that's already been used in 800 that has a meaning. You're changing the meaning of what's written, which happens all the time in translation. Oh, yeah. So we don't exactly know what the original Hebrews were trying to say when we put... No, put that's a different phrase. ungoogleable. Right, right, right. We're going to have to brush up it, on our Hebrew. It does oh. sound like it might be connected, uh, potentially, so... I mean, they're definitely connected, whether or not they were connected before 1611, who knows? Right, exactly. <laughs> After 1611, they're definitely connected. Yeah. Do we, do we, do we know when apples are around? Did we, did we learn their uh, origin I, I, of I, apples? Uh, where, where, where are apples from? Yeah. <laughs> okay, did not see that coming. DNA analysis indicates that apples originated in the mountains of Kazakhstan. Oh, well, there you go. Where the wild Malus Sievercii, the many times great great 
great-great-grandparent of Malice Domestica, the modern domesticated apple, still flourishes. Really? That is, I did not see that coming. I really would have thought someplace more tropical than the mountains of Kazakhstan. Okay. So they definitely could be, it definitely could have been the forbidden fruit then. Kazakhstan's not that uh, that far away from Eden, right? No, but it does beg the question when apples were actually domesticated, if that's the... Oh, wow. Okay, so the apples thought to have been domesticated four to 10,000 years ago. That's, that's a broad swath of time. That is a super broad swath. And then to have traveled along the Silk Road to Europe with hybridization and introgression of wild crab apples from Siberia, the Caucasus, and Europe. Interesting. So, it could have been there, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know if, yeah. Well, this is, yeah, so, <laughs> this is a very tongue-in-cheek article. It says, uh, there's disagreement over the range of probable, probable locations of the Garden of Eden, which range from Turkey, Mongolia, the North Pole, and Ohio, which is funny. Um, but this is this is a National Geographic article. <laughs> it says that uh, the ubiquitous apple does not appear in the Old Testament uh, book of Genesis in the original story. Um, it's an unspecified fruit, which has been later entangled with the apple. Right. So apparently Greeks use the word apple as a generic term for all foreign fruit other than berries, including ah. nuts, as late as the 17th century. Ah, wow. So it's just any old foreign fruit uh, or nut. You know you know my boy uh, Ryan George that does the uh, pitch meetings? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He did, uh, he did one recently on uh, – he was like, uh, we got to start naming fruits because apparently – uh, fruits and berries isn't good enough, and so they they sit around in a in a in a meeting and try to name fruits. I'm gonna link to it. It's it's really amazing. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he goes, he goes. <laughs> um, they name grape, and then like it gets around to the guy who's in charge of the grapefruit, and he goes, um, I want to name my fruit grape, and he's like, No, we already named it grape, and he goes, How about grape fruit? <laughs> It's like, but it's, a, it's 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 really it's, it's it's great. Sorry, I'm gonna spoil it. Well, that was good stuff. Yeah, I think I, think, I feel it. like did we? Yeah, we nailed that. Oh, I feel like we, nailed we crushed it. that. <laughs> we knew it wasn't an apple. We knew the apple was the pupil. We knew that it was a long time ago. Come on. Yeah. All right. Well. Anything else this show? I don't know. So I think that's all I got. Sounds good. Well, thank you all for listening. You can find us online at Undebeatables on Twitter, facebook.com slash the Undebeatables. The Undebeatables.com is the website. There you can buy merch. We got shirts. We got koozies. For the architect... For the architect, Donnie Walsh, and our once and always Hall of Fame coach, Bobby Sick Leonard, 
Turn out the lights. The party's over. made this opening so complicated that I can't I can't I feel know. like I've really pushed you off your game with the the, the pre-outro outro I blame myself yeah no you should <laughs> uh, nice work that's good stuff do you feel like you know more about the apple of the eye now uh, I do, yeah, and lots of other weird stuff. That... <laughs> right. Kazakhstan apples. Yeah, Kazakhstan apples. Who can, knew? Can we, uh, yeah, they don't have those at the grocery store. It's, it's like Granny Smith. Like, come yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's, uh, you know, Grandma Smith from Kazakhstan. I don't know. <laughs>